Welcome to the Women in Work podcast, the show that inspires you to confidently step into your God-given calling and view your work as meaningful to the kingdom of God. I'm Courtney Moore. And I'm Missy Branch. We want to introduce you to women who, through their own unique vocations, are seeing what they do make an eternal difference. And we pray these conversations will inspire you in your own calling to honor God, to image Him to the world through your work, and to leverage your potential for His glory. Thank you so much for joining us today. Before we jump into conversation with our guests today, we want to thank the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary for sponsoring this episode. New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary and Level College desire for women to be theologically grounded servants of Jesus who abide in the Word. Their heart is to help women answer God's call to ministry leadership. If that sounds like you, then today visit prepareher.com. Thank you so much, New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. Thanks for listening this week, friends. As you tune into this episode, you'll find that we are actually halfway through our conversation with Lise Fitzpatrick and Eric Shoemaker. So if you are just finding this episode, which is part two of our conversation with them, make sure to go back and listen to the previous episode. Now, welcome back and enjoy part two of mine and Missy's conversation with Elise and Eric. Wow. This is... um. This is really helpful conversation for just me personally, but just even as I minister to women who come into my office here at um, the seminary, one of the things that is a recurring theme those for these women is a thing we all heard of, imposter syndrome. Just the idea that they don't believe that even if they've been theologically trained or even if this is a thing that God has naturally gifted them for, they still lack this... Um, confidence in God's call on their lives. Um, so my question is, how do you, how do we try to kick out the idea of imposter syndrome and make it not a real thing that we're struggling with without going to the other extreme and saying, you know, you're the greatest thing that got, <laughs> like, you're the only you person got this. who did this job. And, <laughs> I mean, because I will say you got this, you can do this, but I won't act like and it can't be done without you. But I do think that, I mean, even I have struggled. Courtney and I have talked about this. I told Courtney, if they escorted me out my job today, I'd been like, great run, guys. I didn't do anything to earn it. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but yet we still want to find a biblical balance to calling and ability. Yeah. So, you know, I remember a time... Um, let's say 15 or 20 years ago, I was teaching a class and uh, a friend of mine, a very good friend of mine was in the class. And I was saying, you know, I, I really struggle with feeling like I'm a sham. Mm -hmm. And my friend is in the back and she goes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> but you know awesome. what? No, that, that was actually a good thing. That was very yeah. freeing. Because for me personally, if I if I don't find my confidence 
in Christ alone, in the giftings Christ has given me. So we don't put our confidence in ourselves as if anything is coming from ourselves, but our confidence is from Christ. So it's if, if we're not focused on the gospel, on what the gospel says about us, that we are forgiven, that we're counted worthy, that we are counted uh, perfect in his sight, and that we are gifted, and that God is ruling sovereignly over our lives, if we don't uh, remember that, then we will fall into, and sometimes on the same day, either pride, because mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm nailing this, <laughs> or, or self-loathing, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I'm such a loser, I can't do anything right. So mm-hmm. we find ourselves sort of swinging back and forth between pride and self-loathing when what we ought to have is confidence in the fact that God can use us and has promised to use us, not because of how great we're nailing it, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit and the Son. Hmm. And that, you know, it, it's, it's, learning, it's learning to put off pride and self-loathing. Both, they're both Think there's there's same coin, either side, pride and mm-hmm. self-loathing, or and just and just focus on the fact. Look, I don't know why God has called me to this. <laughs> if it was me, I wouldn't have done it. But you know, <laughs> I don't know right? why God has called right. me to this, but He's called me to it. Therefore, I'm going to believe that He's going to use me in the ways He wants to use me whether or not I do a good job. Now, that doesn't mean that, of course, we don't struggle and try to do a good job and just say, whatever, God will use it. Of course we do. But when it comes down to the growth of fruit in our lives or in other people's lives, it's really, it, that's his gig. That's not mine. Right. That's good. So I think we all share that. Yeah. So when, so this question is continuing this thought, it's for both of you. When we think about um, lifting up the equality of men and women in work and in vocation and in the way we're supposed to live our lives, we know that those kinds of conversations can really become controversial, which it's crazy, but it is. And since you guys have written this book and are doing this podcast and have been on social media, we know that you guys have taken a lot of hits for this. A lot of, I don't, yeah, I was going to call it something, but I'll leave that alone. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I know that you guys have been taking hits from people who believe that this is anti-complementarian or who fear, um, which fear is usually the motivation for these types of attacks, but who fear that if we start talking talking about the valuing of women, that that's going to be a slippery slope to women wanting to be in the pulpit or becoming egalitarian. But a quote that you guys have in the book, um, it, we Courtney and I both just love this. It says, as a woman, I am not declaring my gender's worth to flatter feminist sympathizers. No, Eric and I are declaring a woman's value because this is what the Bible declares. And it goes on to say, in addition to this, the Bible is clear that women are not an afterthought or a problem to be solved, nor the ancillary to the overarching message of the scripture. I think that is so <laughs> valuable. 
But I also think that it's causing problems. And it's just weird to me that that's a reality. So Eric, could you talk to us a little bit today about the fear? And I even venture to use the word misogyny um, that takes place within the church today. Um, But I think like in thinking through it, like thinking through how this fear and this uh, this fear of egalitarianism taking over, how this has led really to the idolatry of marriage and motherhood and homemaking for women. I mean, we affirm that. Courtney and I, we, Courtney's home with kids. I've been home with kids. So we affirm that. But I do think it's been turned into like an idol. There's no other word yeah. for it. Yeah, I think I get that question. And Man, there's a lot to unpack there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you know, I loved what you said about how people think that emphasizing the value of women is a threat to complementarianism or a slippery slope into whatever. And I'll say this um, and ask the listeners, don't hear what I'm not saying. Mm. But if... If highlighting the value of women is a threat to complementarianism, then complementarianism needs to die. Hmm. Because what complementarianism says is that men and women are equal in value and worth. That's where it always starts. Hmm. And if saying that about one of the genders threatens the whole of complementarianism, then they're either lying about women being equal in value or something's gone tragically off the rails after that point. (laughs) We Mm. never have to be afraid that affirmation and proclamation of the truth is going to lead us into something dangerous. Whatever is true We ought to celebrate and affirm and say amen to, and we don't have to be adding a, yeah, but. Right. And so if one of my kids says, daddy, do you love me? Do you think I'm valuable? I don't say, yeah, I love you and I think you're valuable, but I want to add some caveats here so that you don't start getting too proud of yourself. Mm -hmm. Like, that's just weird. And Mm -hmm says something unhealthy about the home. If you feel like anytime you say something true about someone's worth, it needs to be said with caution because there's a slippery slope there that might lead them into pride or whatever. That that's just, that's silly. And to be honest, it's sick. It, It reveals a sickness in the person who always has to do that because they're uncomfortable with the truth of that value. They're threatened by it at some level. And, um, and and you see that not just on the, on issues of gender. I mean, we see that everywhere in our culture, Mm -hmm. you know, we can't affirm what someone of the other political party has done well, because to affirm that they're right in this one thing might give people the impression that we can support them in all the things. Mm. And that's just a tragic plan for humanity. I mean, we've seen where that ends up and Mm. that just needs, that kind of thought just needs to go, to go away. And, you know, thinking about idolatry of marriage, motherhood, homemaking, there's a lot going on there. And obviously you can make marriage and motherhood and homemaking an idol 
and not be a misogynist. You know, a, a girl who grows up really admiring what her mother has done as a mother and a homemaker might begin to idolize her uh, because that's where she finds her worth and value or something mm-hmm. like that, which mm-hmm. isn't coming from misogyny necessarily. Right. But but I do think that in places where men are afraid of women, um, then the, the thing we do with what we're afraid of or the thing we hate is we try to control it and eliminate it. And so if you can relegate women to a certain realm, then they're not a threat to you hmm. in the church or in the workplace or in in society and politics because they've got this little box called the house that they have to stay in and right. and i think that this um you know why the question you know like why is 1950s june cleaver model so appealing um it, well, there's a lot of reasons there too, because <laughs> a lot of the folks in this in these conversations think the 1950s were the good old days. That's true. And um, there's a whole lot of people for whom those were not the good old days. Agreed. And, um, but I, I think I, you know, I'll say this: I think when it comes down to homemaking and motherhood, I, I think people often operate with too small of a vision of what is meant by homemaking. Uh, even yeah. where Paul, you know, you have you have yes. this instruction in First Timothy, where he's talking to younger women who've been widowed, and he says, "I want younger women to marry, have children, and the next phrase is manage their households." So they're to be household managers. And I was just looking at this uh, yesterday, and my eyes, you know, that, that phrase caught me: manage mm. their households. And then my eyes flipped up to First Timothy three where it says that, um, you know, an elder must manage his household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. And then deacons are to be the husbands of one wife managing their children and their own households. They don't manage their wives. They manage their children and their household. And so Paul gives this instruction for the management of the household to both wives and husbands in the same letter. Wow. And so the depiction that we have that being a homemaker as a woman means laundry, dishes, vacuuming, dusting, and then, you know, presenting yourself as, you know, a magazine cover model when your husband gets home uh, and you've got his slippers and uh, a cup of coffee for him. Um that that is not what Paul is talking about about working at home, you know. Um, especially when you're you're speaking to an era and time where um, your business was a family business, you know. It's it's all hands on deck mm-hmm. to make this run. Mm-hmm. Paul's concern is that she's not just out there doing whatever, um, you know, and neglect being idle. neglecting the work that God has for her to do, which is right there in the home, in in this industry, uh, often with her husband, or if if she doesn't have a husband, like we don't think Lydia did, um, you know, doing that work. And so Paul didn't have June Cleaver in mind at all. Um, In fact, he might have told June Cleaver um, to be busy about some other work besides trying to make your house look like you know, good housekeeping magazine. Um, 
That's good. And, and so, yeah, I, I think we just have this this limited view about and 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 obviously, you go look at Proverbs thirty one, um, and and that that homemaker right there is a real estate agent and uh, right. you know investor and all the things. Yes. And yeah. Um, anyway, I'll stop. I think it's you know, so. I'm, go ahead, Elise. Sorry. Can, I I I want to key off of that, and I'll try to do this quickly. It's interesting to me that in First Timothy five, Paul is telling young women to get married, whereas in First Corinthians seven, he's telling people who are single to stay single. Now, obviously, there are things going on in both contexts that speak mm-hmm. to what Paul is saying. But I think that it's important for us to elevate the role of single women mm-hmm. and and to say to them, you know, when you look at the women, particularly in the New Testament, they are not um, quantified by who their husband is or how many children they have. They mm-hmm. are quantified by uh, how they are partnering in the gospel right. uh, with Paul or other men. Uh, there, you know, some women we don't even know if they're married or not. Uh, right. Nympha, for instance, has a, has a a church that meets in her home. Um, Lydia, of course, we don't know if she was married or not. We don't know if Priscilla was married or not. Mm-hmm. You see, in the New Covenant, women are uh, no longer quantified by how pretty they are and therefore whether or not they're married and have children. That's no longer how uh, women are to be thought of. And then the other thing, and then I'll stop. (laughs) Um, You know, when you fear somebody, like Eric was talking about, there's this fear there. When Mm -hmm. you fear someone, as being dangerous, it's very easy to dehumanize them. Mm. They're not actual people anymore. What they are is just some force to be feared. And as soon as you dehumanize women, you're a step away from pornography and abuse. And to my way of thinking, there's not, there's not, um, that that continual women okay i just echoed that continual uh women are to be feared women are to be put down that i think leads into dehumanizing them which leads into the fact that 64% of men in churches admit to watching porn at least once a month. Wow. Okay. All right. So wow. this is all tied together. It's all right. of it's all of one cloth. Mm-hmm. When you stop seeing women as your sisters. That's right. And treating them as you would your biological sister, assuming you have a good relationship. When you stop seeing women as your sisters and instead see them as something to be feared or tamped down, you objectify them. As soon as you do that, then you're right there with pornography and abuse. Gosh, that's so insightful, you guys. Thank Mm -hmm. you. I feel like 
our mission at Women in Work is obviously the exact opposite, to see the flourishing of women, to see women mm-hmm. confidently step into their God-given calling, view their work as it matters to the kingdom of God, what they do has significance to what God is doing in the story of re- in in this redemption we're in, and so to see women free and flourishing and using their gifts is is what we is our heartbeat. Um, I love how you guys talk about in the book worthy about how we've kind of hit on this a little bit of just the narrowness, but how God uses varied types of women to accomplish His purposes. We love the idea that there is no cookie cutter womanhood. Right. Um, And so, Elise, can you uh, talk about that a little bit? Um, We quote, uh, you quote in the book in chapter seven, um, it's a quote from someone else, Carolyn Custis James, and you mentioned Tamar. And, you know, she's got quite the story. Um, she's uh, your your friend Carolyn says Tamar wasn't called righteous for her gentle and quiet spirit. She was righteous by being strong and assertive. She was a godly leader. Yet we, in fact, hear so much of the First Peter three passage of how beautiful it is to have a gentle and quiet spirit. And obviously, we affirm all Scripture. Um, but when you have someone like Tamar, who is a very different type of leader, um, God loves diversity. He He created women and humans and creation itself is diverse. And so we would love for you just to encourage women um, to think about that. You know, the number of women that I've talked to who, when they think about First Peter 3, they think, uh, there's no way in the world I'm going to be that person because I have a loud voice or I have, I have this big personality, sort of like you, Missy. I love, <laughs> I, I love being around you. You've got this big personality and, and it's not that you're like wrong or something. That's, that's who you are. But when women look at first Peter three, they think, Oh, what God's telling me to do there is to be silent. Mm-hmm. But that's not what that passage says. The passage says that women are to have gentle and quiet spirits. And what that means is that my heart is at rest. And in First Peter 3, he's talking about the woman who's married to either a dis- disobedient or unbelieving husband. And what Peter is saying here is don't flip out about it. Don't, don't be... Um, don't be so overly concerned about it that you're that you're trying to manipulate him by the way you dress or the way you act into becoming a believer. What he's saying there is be at peace. God has other ways of dealing with your husband besides you. So you can rest. And then and then oh, Peter good. goes on to say, um, you know, you're a weaker vessel. The woman is the weaker vessel. Well, when when Peter says that, he's not saying um, women are like fine china. What he's saying is that um, it, it can actually be one of two things. First of all, generally speaking, women are not as strong as men, and so they are weaker generally speaking. Uh, On the other hand, he could also be saying women are in situations where they are not the ones that have relational power. 
they're weaker in situations. So whereas in that context, which was highly patriarchal, husbands are not supposed to use their um, relational power as a way to domineer their wives. Rather, they are to honor them. And if they're not honoring them, their prayers are hindered. You know, this... It, it, it would be good, I think, for us to step back and actually read what's in the passage instead of assuming what it says is that women, all women are supposed to be quiet and not have an opinion. Because honestly, mm. if that's what that says, I'm in trouble. Because <laughs> <laughs> I got my dolls. <laughs> you can work it out on them, right? <laughs> Amen. Well, and her co-host. Right. <laughs> One of the things that Courtney was really pointing out is just that women, we are like, you, we say this about everything. Black people aren't a monolith. Women aren't a monolith. White people aren't a monolith. Like we are all diverse. We're all different. And that was on purpose. God made us that way on purpose. Um, and even as you say, Elise, like what does the woman who naturally has a big personality or a naturally a loud voice what does she do with that? Or f- who feels called to leadership and all these other things? What does she do with that? But when we think of the spectrum of womanhood, one of the things that it's easy to do is forget about the group of women who, for them, work is not just, um, it's not um, something that, oh, I like doing this, but it's necessary. Like we, Courtney and I come from single moms, you know, women who have been divorced, women who are single parents, women who are widowed widows, women who have never been married, their work is not just because I have the privilege of working, but because this is, I I need to sustain myself in this society. So when we think about this weighty role of work for women who, they're the breadwinners, what encouragement or biblical hope would either one of you offer them with the unique challenges they face? Um, i.e. the stigma of divorce or the loneliness of being signal or the disappointment of life circumstances. Um, I would say that these are probably the strongest women we know, but because of their circumstance, we wouldn't necessarily, they wouldn't feel honored in that way. Hmm. Yeah, I I know. um, I I, want to go back and add something to what Elise said just to affirm it and and point something out that was coming to mind as she was making that point, which I think was so good. Um, But I want to say, you know, on that, on that question you asked, and I'll let Elise give the further treatment of that. But my mom for a time was uh, a single mother after a divorce. And my mom is an opinionated woman. Uh, Mm -hmm. She, she was born to a opinionated Texas woman. And, uh, and I could tell you some stories about times where she was neither gentle nor quiet and rightly so. Um, but you know, I, I was just thinking when, when we think of that gentle and quiet spirit, oftentimes our minds immediately go to women and women in marriage or women in the church. Mm -hmm. And I think if that's where our minds go first, if you hear gentle and quiet spirit and you go immediately to women in those contexts, that's probably an indicator we've been in unhealthy contexts and unhealthy churches because it's not the only place that's used. You know, when Jesus speaks about his own heart, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. That's the same idea. Yeah, it is. Gentle and lowly gentle 
and quiet. Hmm. And he certainly had opinions and he certainly lifted up his voice. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Peter is saying, just because your husband doesn't follow Jesus doesn't mean you can start at not, you know, acting unchristlike. Mm-hmm. You're still called to the same heart. And that heart of Christ is not for women alone. That's you know, good. that's that's the calling of every Christian because he's mm-hmm. the perfect man. Yeah. He's the perfect human being. And then, you know, in that chapter that's so controversial in you know, First Timothy two, uh, where Paul even says, you know, she is to remain quiet. He opens by saying that prayers should be offered for everyone, and in particular for kings and those in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. That's mm-hmm. his calling for everyone. The mm-hmm. ideal for every single Christian, man or woman, is to live a life that is peaceful and quiet. That's what we all aim at. And he says that, he says, so that, because there's ways in which kings and people in authority can act that prevent us from being peaceful and quiet. Hmm. And so when the government, when a king is forbidding Christians from preaching the gospel, then we have to raise our voice and we have to respond to them and we have to disobey them. And and that sort of thing. That's not our ideal. We, mm-hmm. we don't want that. Right. And so, you know, even to go back, and I, I, I wanted to come back to this because I wanted to add for women who are in situations with unbelieving husbands or believing husbands where their husband's not obeying the gospel and that disobedience comes in the form of abuse, mm. uh, you don't need to be gentle and quiet. Um, where you are being harmed. Uh, Because here's the irony. We'll tell women, well, if your husband's being disobedient, you just need to be gentle and quiet. We say that without any nuance. And then when a woman gets raped or sexually assaulted, we say, well, we need to figure out whether or not this is biblical rape. And, you know, in the Old Testament, it says she had, if she didn't cry out, then it wasn't rape and she mm. was consenting. Well, on the one hand, when you're being mistreated, you need to be gentle and quiet. But then because you were gentle and quiet in response mm. to that abuse, well, you must have been, it was consensual. You, you know, mm. you didn't do the right things. And just imagine the place that puts a woman in. Sure. If you're mm. in a marriage or any other relationship where, you are being harmed. You need to use your voice to make that plain and do whatever you have to, to get yourself and any children to a place of safety. And you have not failed to be gentle and lowly like Jesus, because the gentle and lowly Jesus hears the cry of the poor, and he rescues those who are being led away to death, and he tramples the heads of serpents. Wow. And you need to love yourself and your kids by speaking and getting free from that. And we as pastors need to not present gentle and quiet in a way that would prevent any woman from doing that. Instead, we need to be there to validate their voice, to validate their strength, and come alongside them to bring them to a point of safety. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. Thank you. Somebody's going to hear that. and find life because you just said that. Thank you so much. Wow. Mic drop. Well, <laughs> right. We all had to collect ourselves on that one. That, thank you so much. 
I mean, so, but then I think now, even going back to that question of women who are now, I'm divorced because maybe I was in that situation, not because I wanted to be divorced, not because I believe that God is, you know, honoring of that thing, but maybe a husband who would not stay or would not not abuse them or whatever. But women who find themselves in this situation, um, these women or widows or single moms, as we mentioned before, or women who have never been married and that's been God's good plan for their life. How do we look at work for them uh, or how do we encourage them that their work, their work that is not just privilege, but is necessary? um, How do we encourage them and offer them biblical hope? Yeah. You know, as a, as a woman who has been divorced, um, The the kinds of uh, difficulties that a divorced woman, particularly in the church, faces um, is uh, their myriad, Um, and particularly if you have children. And so, what do you say to a woman who says, "Look, uh, I am I am a single head of the household. Mm -hmm. Um, Here here's some good news about that." Jesus was the single head of a household. <laughs> okay. So at some point after his 12th birthday, Jesus' earthly father died because we never see him again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for the next 18 years after his 12th birthday, and who knows for how long Joseph was or was not there, Jesus functioned as the single head of a household. Mm-hmm. And so the good news is that yeah. women who are alone, whether through divorce or um, because they're widows or because they've never married, um, and yet they're struggling to be the head of a household, the great news is, first of all, the Lord sees and he understands, and he understands not simply because he's God and he's omniscient, but the Lord Jesus understands because he knows exactly what it's like to have to care for people alone, hmm. care for people by himself. He understands that. Okay. So, you know, that really to me is so helpful. But then also to say, you know, maybe what you do for your job is you have to uh, go teach at, uh, at, at a school. Or maybe your job is that you uh, deliver groceries or something. Mm -hmm. Vocation. We have to have a higher view of work and the importance of work. So, um, you know, the the person who, uh, Martin Luther would say, the person who repairs shoes is as important as the priest in the pulpit. Because he's offering something, he's loving his neighbor by what he's doing. You see, so then that means that my my work that I do is important because I am fulfilling God's call on my life to love my neighbor. Well, maybe you're saying, yeah, but I don't even see how I can love my neighbor through my work. You're loving your neighbor by caring for the people around you whether or not your work actually has that kind of obvious benefit. So your work has value. Your life has value. And 
And in that, you are you are loving your neighbor. And then just to remember, Jesus is walking right with you through your singleness. And even now, he's waiting for his bride. Yeah. <laughs> he gets it. So good. I have yeah. a daughter who um, has intellectual disabilities and really just helping her to recognize that her value is her value. And it won't yeah. be tied to whether her work will be academic in nature or whether she will be a wife and have children, but that mm. who she is has been value has been imported in that because she's made in God's, God's image. And so that's, mm-hmm. that's just so good and so helpful. Even just that thought process of Jesus understanding what it means to do these things as a single person and as the head of a household yeah. is really, really helpful. I, and I love what Elise just said there about we need a deeper vision of vocation. Yes. And we tend to think like, well, this is what I'm gifted at and this is what I want to do. So this is the vocation that I need to have. <laughs> and we we don't pick our vocation. Uh, you know, it struck mm. me when I was preaching through Exodus that you have these, you know, millions, uh, likely at the time, of Israelites who are enslaved. And every morning they wake up and they go out and they gather straw and they make their own bricks and they do their slave work mm-hmm. and they go back home dead tired and they fall asleep. And it's, it doesn't matter what they want to do. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what gifts they had. That's where they were and they couldn't help it. And that was their vocation. This is where um, God had called them to live faithfully. Um, and, you know, you think of the parable of the Good Samaritan. What was the vocation of the priest and the Levite? Their vocation in that moment was to stop and care for the man on the side of the road mm-hmm. because that's where God put them. They're, they're called to that. We, and, and just because they were called and failed to obey the calling to, to help an injured man, it doesn't mean they're called to be paramedics the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. You know, Ecclesiastes says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. The situation that we're mm-hmm. put in even if it's unfortunate how we got there, and even if it's not what we want to do, I mean, we have every right to try to get out of it. You know, the Israelites were right to leave slavery. Um, it, but we, we were called to live faithfully wherever we get placed. And, you know, working 12 hours at a convenience store so you can put food on the table for your kids and get them clothing for school. Mm-hmm. Um isn't what any mom that I know of wants to do. Um, but we, I love the point Elise made that Jesus was the single unmarried head of a household. And we see him fulfilling his head of household duties right before he dies. Yes, he is, right. he's yes. nailed to a cross going, Gosh, right. John, this is yeah. your mom now. And mom, this is your son. Wow. He, and he had just begged not to be there. Father, yeah. take this cup from me. Yeah, right. And so when you find yourself in that place that feels like a cross to be able to take care of your kids, um, you're being conformed into the image of Jesus. It's beautiful. And yeah. whether or not your kids say thank you now or they never say thank you the rest of their lives, Jesus is going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. And I think all of us can relate to things that have been in our lives that have felt like crosses that 
because of the refining and because they have actually made us look like Jesus, we wouldn't wish them away, right? right? I may not wish it on someone else, but I wouldn't necessarily wish it out of my life because of what I got on the other end of that. Thank you so much. That's powerful. Very. Well, we want to mention, Eric, you recently wrote an article um, at madetoflourish.org um, called How I'm Learning to Honor the Vocations of Women in My Congregation. It was such mm-hmm. a helpful article. I think you mainly, if I'm right, wrote it as a pastor for pastors, and you gave some really helpful advice, I felt like, to men um, and in and, and, and just what you said, how to, to really recognize and value women and their work. And so I just... You know, we're, we're getting toward the end of the conversation here, but wanted you to just, I wanted to bring that up and we're going to link to it um, for our listeners. But just if you wanted to just share your heart behind the article and just, I don't know, whatever you wanted to mention about it. Yeah. So in the title of that, how I'm learning to honor the vocations of women is, is really honest because I know I'm not doing it perfectly and enough, uh, but I've been conscious of trying harder. And, mm-hmm. you know, the points that I made in there were, um, particularly as pastors, but I think this this goes for all of us, whether we're a man or a woman talking to someone in the foyer of the church. Right. Uh, the first is that we should expect women to have vocations because of what we've already mm-hmm. said in this podcast about the creation mandate, that it's not good for man to be alone. The task of exercising God's rule on the earth was always intended to be by men and women together. And so we should expect that God is calling all women to be involved in that task of exercising dominion over the face of the earth. Um, And so expect it when a woman says, oh, yeah, I work for this company. Don't go, oh, wow. I, I, you know, I wouldn't have thought that, you know, whereas you wouldn't have responded that way if it was a man, you know. Exactly. Um, (laughs) The second one is to respect it uh, because it's it's not oh well that's nice you know like that was an option that some some women have like the vocation of women whether it is to be a homemaker or to be a ceo is necessary like mm-hmm. god has made mm-hmm. this necessary it's not to be a joke and it's not to be um dishonored you know where where you have a woman who has a position in her company where she makes double the income of her husband, uh, who's, uh, you know, a carpenter or something. And you make jokes about how she earns twice what he does. You've just turned her job into a joke that right. still makes him the center of all of it. Right. You're right. Wow. Um, the next one is to ask, to inquire, um, to ask about it. And so I think we need to be careful when we ask a woman like, well, what is it that you do? Um, I, I think depending on the relationship, our, our, our first question to women shouldn't be, um, so are you married? Uh, so do you have kids? Uh, if our first question to the men would be, um, so what do you do for a living? Meaning where do you earn money? Mm-hmm. If, if, if my natural question for men is where do you earn money? And my natural question for women are, is there a man earning money in your life? Then <laughs> we've really kind of confused what vocation is about. So just asking her, like, what do you do? You know, Mm -hmm. um, leaves it open-ended for her to describe herself the way that, that she wants to. And then I think celebrating it, um, you know, 
we now I'm in a small church, you know, so we have more opportunity to highlight what individual members are doing. But to be able to highlight and celebrate uh, a woman's raise, or we just had a woman in our congregation who started a long arm quilting company and, um, wow. you know, all sorts of other things that they do. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, if you're going to use the accomplishments of men in your congregation, particularly in their jobs, as illustrations um, or things that you celebrate in your sermons, um, make sure that you're as knowledgeable of the the employment of females in your congregation and are able to do that as well. Mm-hmm. So helpful. I, I just so appreciate, as a woman, I so appreciate you writing that and just bringing those points to light. Well, guys, as we wrap up, and this is really for both of you, a question for both of you, we ask all of our guests this, what is one piece of advice you would leave with women who, who have a heart, who really want to honor the Lord through their vocational calling? What would you say? Uh, remember who you're actually working for. Yes. Right. Yes. So whatever we do, it's actually the Lord whom we're, that we're serving. Mm-hmm. So Colossians three twenty three says, whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. Mm. So you're serving Christ in your work. So sometimes our jobs seem important and other times they seem mundane. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, Martin Luther had this great view of vocation and, and thought I, he, and I think that he said that he was closer in service to God when he's changing a baby diaper than, than he is when, you know, he's actually writing things or speaking. So to see that everything we're doing, and particularly the things we do at the margins, that everything we're doing mm-hmm. is um, it, to the Lord. We serve the Lord Christ and our neighbor. So God does not need my good works, but my neighbor does. That's good. So I wow. want to love my neighbor. That's really good. And he's called me to do that through my work. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That's good. Mm-hmm. How about you, Eric? I think I would, well, at least stole what I was going to say. So <laughs> I think I. <laughs> Yay, I did it again. <laughs> yes. I, well, I think I just want to extend that great point to say an extension or an implication of that is your worth and the worth of your vocation, your vocational service does not depend on what any man or for that matter, any woman thinks about it. Mm. You, you don't pursue your vocation and what you do in this world for the sake of impressing any person. Um, love God and um, pursue what he's called you to do in mm-hmm. Christ. And mm-hmm. Let your mind rest in the perfect and complete acceptance that you enjoy with God the Father through the work of the Son. Mm-hmm. Amen. So good. We knew this was going to be good. <laughs> <laughs>
Guys, it has been such a pleasure and an honor uh, to have you guys on the Women in Work podcast. And I just, there were so many life-giving things that you guys spoke. I just know it's going to be a huge, huge encouragement to our listeners. So thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We thank you for coming on. Thank you so much. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to check out our website at womenwork.net for today's show notes. There will be more information about today's conversation there. And while you're there, we'd be honored for you to partner with us financially. If this podcast or really any of the content Women in Work produces has been a source of inspiration and encouragement to you. Women in Work is a registered 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all your donations are fully tax deductible. When the trials of life weigh us down, meditating on our great salvation helps restore our joy. This hope is the theme of the Gospel Coalition's 2022 Women's Conference, Remember Your Joy, happening June 16th through 18th in Indianapolis. Speakers like Jackie Hill Perry, Jen Wilkin, and John Piper will help us consider how seven Old Testament stories point to our greater salvation in Christ and lead us to greater joy. Learn more about the conference and register soon at tgc.org slash tgcw22. If you enjoyed this episode and don't want to miss another one, please subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd also love for you to take a minute to rate and review our show so that more listeners can find us. And with that, we hope you've been inspired to more confidently step into your God-given calling and view your work as meaningful to the kingdom of God. See you next time.